this is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Welcome back to another episode, a continuation of my discussion with Elaine Taylor-Klaus on her approach to coaching parents, the impact model. The aim is to guide children to self-management by the time they are ready to leave the nest. In this show, we discuss the roles of parents at different stages and how they change along the way. And it's interesting. Diane and I have a lot of ways that we reference this program, this, this model, right? It's the four phases of parenting. We also sometimes call it the four phases of empowerment or the four phases of letting go. Because really what this is about is a gradual process of letting go of control and transferring ownership to our kids. The, one of the images I use when I teach this is um, if you've ever ridden a horse, you know, when you teach a kid to ride a horse, first you put them on the horse and you're holding the reins, walking the horse around a ring. And then you hold, they hold the reins and you hold the reins and you walk the horse around the ring. And eventually they hold the reins and you let go and they start walking the horse on their own. That's phase one, phase two, phase three, right? Phase four, they're going, they're going horseback riding and telling you about it at the end of their day. And you didn't even know they went. <laughs> and that's a lot easier to do when there's something of interest. I want to learn how to ride a horse. And it's physical and it's outdoors. And, and that's a whole lot more fun to do than homework. For sure. But the, but the metaphor, I think, is really helpful of what our role is in relation to their doing something independently. Yeah, great example. So now we've uh, kind of shifted and maybe on different activities, different roles shifting, how much is collaboration on some things and others are moving into support, maybe asking, what do you think you need to get ready for practice tomorrow and can I help you? Yeah. All right. and or do you, or just, it looks like you're on it. Can I, is there anything you need from me or do you need help from anybody else? They get into teenage years, often that support role is going to be getting them in the car and driving them someplace. Yep. <laughs> yep. When we get frustrated because our kids are coordinating some activity and they ask us to drive, remember, they're coordinating an activity. They're doing the executive function part of planning something. And so that's great, and that means they're inviting us to be in that support role, which is great. I know sometimes it's annoying, but it really is part of the process of of empowering them to, to become more independent problem solvers for themselves. One of the things I think of that uh, my daughter was very independent and we'll get the things we know you have to be in practice. Okay, I'll give you a ride. And we got, we probably had a good 16, 18 miles to ride to this practice for a tournament. And we got halfway there and she looked at her shoes and she had two left shoes from two different pairs of doctor's shoes. Right. No choice but to 
turn around, and she always checked if she had a right and left shoe after that. But that was, uh-huh. okay, we're going to go back. We, we didn't meet expectations. We made a mistake. Um, and I you know, said, boy, that's tough. Let's just turn around and go back. Um, and so somebody else had to be goalie for the first, first part of that game. Um, but and I bet she never let that happen again. Oh, no, absolutely. She would check through to make sure all the different things, not just the shoes, but does she have uh, right and left gloves for being goalie, or does she have something or another she needs um, to make sure all the pieces are in place. And that was right. learning by experience, and I think, yeah, experience is what you get when you mess up. So you learn by experience, and you change what you do the next time. Well, and the key for her to be able to learn from that was for you to stay out of a place of judgment around it, right? Mm-hmm. was for you to stay matter-of-fact and say, oh, looks like we got to turn around without yelling and saying, you should have done this, I told you to do this, whatever, right? Oh, yeah. When we do that, we prevent them from learning what we call failing forward, from learning from their mistakes. If we make it not okay to make a mistake, then our kids learn to avoid them at all costs and eventually to start lying to us about them because it's not okay. And so we want to really create an environment for them to learn from experiences good and bad or right and wrong or however you want to classify that, but to learn from the experience and make it okay. And not be anxious of, uh-oh, I have to do everything perfectly and see so many kids and with ADHD, they've been criticized from whether it's age three and how come you can't remember to brush your teeth, whatever, all the way through with teachers saying, no, you have to do it this way. So they get into this perfectionist mode, which certainly doesn't help getting things done because they're so anxious if they make a mistake, they're going to get jumped off. Yeah. I, I remember so vividly my eldest kid, and, and this is the kid who did not have as much benefit of all of the work that I do as my younger two kids. Um, but I remember them saying to me once at about 15 or 16 years old, don't you see, Mom, if I don't do it, I haven't done it wrong. And I, it was just this huge light bulb moment for me. Like, they would rather not do it than do it wrong because they were struggling so much with their own perfectionism. Yeah. And, you know, I would like to think that they that, that didn't come from me, but I'm sure it did. Yeah. It would have had to. You know, if I was taking a shirt and refolding it or re-putting, you know, they put something in the dishwasher and then I put it in differently, whatever. You know, I'm sure I was sending subtle messages that said, whatever you're doing isn't good enough. Even though I thought I wasn't, you know, my intention was good. Yeah, that's a, that's a real powerful message. And when I think I can and it turned around to ask, are you, are you scared or afraid of doing it wrong? What do you, what do you think would happen mm-hmm. if you didn't do it right? Yeah. And for those of us who have kids with anxiety, and I, all of my kids also have anxiety, that's a big issue. It's like getting over the obstacle, getting started. Oftentimes, getting started isn't an ADD initiation thing. It's an, it's an executive function anxiety thing. 
I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. I'm afraid, I'm, like my daughter, the biggest challenge she used to have in middle school and early high school was choosing a topic for a paper. Mm. It wasn't writing the paper that was merely a choosing. And there's been a lot of research recently on decision making and how overwhelming and crippling decision making can be. So part of what we're talking about with these four phases is constantly bringing our kids into the process of decision making in little ways so that they get used to it and comfortable with it and not afraid of it. And sometimes making a wrong decision or making a mistake, I'd much rather a child make a wrong decision or a miss a decision on making sure I have the right shoes than making sure I don't drive fast or I don't uh, get into the wrong crowd and, and have people talking and interviewing four people in the car when I just learned to drive a month ago. Exactly. Consequence. So. Yeah, I, I have to say that I, I have a lot, I'm from the state of Georgia and I have a lot of problems with the state of Georgia, but one thing they did do was they made my life easier with certain things with the laws that they have in the state. Like it was, you know, kid wasn't allowed to have a friend in the car until at least six months after a license. I think that's a brilliant idea. They have a, a state curfew. Kids have to be home at a time. It's not me saying it. It's the state. And, you know, you can get arrested if not. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big believer in letting the system be the bad guy, you know. I'm allowed to be driving between 11 and 6 or something like that. Yep. And not all states do. I had one client, I'll never forget, her 14-year-old kid with ADD was getting a driver's license because she lived in Nebraska and there were licenses for kids who live on farms much, much younger because they need to in those areas. And that's reasonable. And the, she could only drive to go to school or to activities or whatever. But, but if you think about the 14-year-old 14, kid behind the wheel of a car, it does give you pause. <laughs> yes. But that kid turned out to be amazing and independent. And as we started doing work with the mom and the mom started learning to collaborate, the kids started taking on more and more responsibility. And um, I remember vividly when she sent me her senior school, high school shots, you know, this kid in the back of a pickup with a, a barrel of hay and whatever else it was, you know, this kid is owning it and doing great. Mm-hmm. So, because the mom changed her approach. Mm -hmm. Into the, well, certainly away from director, but also, okay, now I'm the support. Right. So, she started, I, one of the examples, and this is going back years, but, but instead of telling the kid what she needed to do to get ready for school the next day, as she began to bring her daughter into that and collaborate with her daughter, her daughter created what we would, there's a term for it now, it's a strategy, but, but a staging area. Her daughter set up a table, she put a poster board on the wall, um, she put her stuff what she needed. It was a mess from, from our perspective, but it was perfect for the daughter. And when the mom st stopped trying to get her to do it her way and started letting the kid do it her, the way she, that worked for her and supporting her, Everything started changing. The, the coach started asking, what's going on with her? She's doing so much better. The teacher started asking. Everything shifted because this mm -hmm. kid was feeling empowered and supported. And that's the game. That's really what it's about, everyone. That's a nutshell. 
what, what do we need to shift in ourself and our approach to empower our kids to feel capable mm-hmm. around anything? And as you said earlier, this, this is about the parent shifting perspective, respecting yeah. themselves and saying, okay, how can I approach this differently? Instead of yeah, exactly. what do I need to tell her so she does it right? Exactly. So, so here's another example that just comes also from the call this morning from a mom of an 11-year-old. And the mom was saying, I've been such a fierce advocate mama bear for so many years that I am, I'm realizing that I start everything with looking at this kid's instabilities, her deficits. If she's got executive function, this, she's got ADHD, that, right? And she, she said, and I'm, I'm stuck in director mode because I feel like I'm always looking at, at what the problems are that we need to fix or solve or address, right? And so I really, and, and this is a mom who's been doing this for a little bit, so she's really ready to move and she's struggling with how because she was worried. And so I asked her a few questions, some coaching questions. I asked her what she was afraid of, not for her daughter, but for herself. And, but the first question I asked her is, tell me what you adore about this kid. And, you know, she almost started crying as she started telling me, you know, how fabulous the kid is and everybody loves her and the teachers love her and she's so positive and she's so empathetic and all of this amazing stuff about this 11-year-old girl. But her default was always to see what was not working to make it better instead of really looking at, wow, look at all the strengths this kid brings. And so when I asked her the question, what are you afraid of, it came down to, I don't want her to struggle. It's it's hard for her. And so then we had this great conversation about what's the value to your kid of struggling through things, of things being hard sometimes, you know? And when I said, has has life always been easy for you? She's like, no, right? So Mm -hmm. what have those struggles offered you? Well, that's how I grow. And that's kind of what we were saying before. That's how people grow. And so we, we have this... Mama bear, papa bear reaction to want to protect our kids from pain. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and we have to remember that growing pains are really, really constructive. And if we do it respectfully and, and with compassion and create an environment where they're feeling supported, there's nothing better for them than to learn, I don't want my team to have to show up for me without me because I brought two left shoes, you know? Great life lesson. And protecting her from that isn't going to help her learn from it. Right, right. Having me look at her shoes every time she goes to the next game. That's That's not going to help her either. (laughs) Right. And to to go back to one of the the mom who looks at the disability or dad, I think Mm -hmm. the diagnosis of ADHD. Oh, okay. Now we know what's wrong with you. Right. Of, and I say, okay. now we know what's going on. Yeah. Now we know what's going on. We can look at how we can help. Um, and that's learning about ADHD, learning that, yeah, you're developmentally, developmentally three years behind and emotional or whatever. Um, rather than, oh, now I know your disability and, uh, I've always got to take care because you are disabled. And and right. patients in their 
30s, 40s, they see it as, oh, I'm disabled and wonder I can't do this and I'm helpless and I need to have this and that. So they buy into the same thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What we do when we, when we see their deficits instead of their strengths, and I'm a big believer in a strength-based approach, but the key to, to this is, to, is to, be, to recognize the strengths, to understand the challenges, and to be matter-of-fact about them. It doesn't make you, you know, morally bankrupt because you have these challenges, right? It just means this is this is your edge. This is what you got to learn to manage. Yeah, your child you know? is a bad person because they forgot to turn in their homework. It's not a character flaw. Something that happened. Right. And having said that, so another couple I was talking to today, um, not on that call, but in a, in a private coaching session. Um, are concerned because they have a 13-year-old boy who's impulsive, but now they're beginning to be concerned that the, the, the consequences of some of these impulses are getting bigger and more expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of one client, the kid threw a rock through a plate glass window. Another, this, this family, there was a, a piece of property that was destroyed that wasn't theirs. Mm-hmm. So... You know, and, and part of the conversation was, this doesn't mean that the kid is becoming a delinquent, right? Uh-huh. What this means is that older kids are having different access, more creative, more, you know, more independent to different things. And so we have to continue to be aware of helping them learn to manage impulsivity. Mm-hmm. And maybe in that instance, well, got to go talk to the neighbor about... The, uh, the window that was broken, and let's ask him what we can do to make it good. Well, and you know, how are you going to take responsibility for it? I, I have what with one of my kids, what I used to call the pine cone story, which was we were at a property in, in California, and a group of kids was outside playing, you know, hide and go seek or whatever, and a pine cone went through a window and broke a window in an apartment. And the proudest moment of my life was when my 16 year old went up to the to the door of the apartment that got broken, the window that got broken, and said, I'm so sorry, can I clean it up? All the other kids scattered. Uh, and, uh-huh. and this kid went to the door and said, can I clean it up? And they worked it out. And then they came home and they lost it and they cried and all of that, right? Yeah. But, but they had that presence to, to say, this was a mistake and it's my job to clean it up. And I, I mean, to this day, this is one of the proudest moments of my life as a parent. Yep. That's yep. one of those moments. We all have them when our kids do something and we go, okay, they're going to be okay. That was one of those moments for me. This kid's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. He, right? Yep. Um, doing what you need to to get along with the other person and take responsibility. So Right. And if your kid's not doing it yet, these four phases will help you get them there. That's what collaboration is about. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to do it if you're constantly directing. Right. So we've got that collaboration now running to support. What's the shift or what do you see happening to help direct it uh, to go into advisor mode? Um, The advisor, I think, happens naturally as they, I mean, most of us, most of our kids aren't going to need us to be in this phase until they're out of, out of the home, maybe even out of school. I would say probably my, one of my kids, I was in and out of this phase with them, and this is important to say as we close up, that, that these aren't linear. 
that we may have a kid who needs us to be in phase two in one area and phase three in another. And, and then they may be fully in phase four and then exams come and they need us to move back into phase three. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that my kid was pretty much in phase four, a lot of college. And then during stress times, whether it was exam season or ultimate season or, you know, when things were, were more intense, they would need more help and more support. Like I've got a, mm -hmm. the same child is applying to medical school now. She's doing most of it on her own, obviously. And when it comes time to getting her, you know, secondary applications done, she's asking for a little help because she needs a little more support, you know, just to help her organize and manage it. So mostly she's in phase four in her life, or I'm in phase four with her in her life. And sometimes she comes back and she says, can I get a little help? Mm -hmm. and I, so I it's a dance. It's a constant dance. Yes, I mean, it, let's be honest. As an adult, there were times where I would go to my parents and say, I'm trying to buy a house. Can you talk this through with me? I'm not, I was an independent adult, but then I moved back into, you know, I needed them to be in phase three with me for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I saw it yesterday in, in a 25-year-old guy who I've seen probably since he was 16 or 17 and sometimes less as he got to college and he was going to do things on his own and then uh, would come back and decide yeah, I need to try meds again. Now he's yep. overwhelmed That's... by his job. Sometimes he's there till 9 p.m. He's just... Uh, and he said, I think I need to see a therapist. Can you, can you recommend somebody? So he's recognizing, mm -hmm. I need more support and I need professional I need support. Uh, and Great. mom would be someone who would say, good for you. That's and awesome. might have said, you think maybe a therapist would help? But he did that one on his own. Right. Well, and at that age, it might be a therapist and it might be a coach, right? He may, and and yeah. helping him figure out what does he need? Does he need to process the emotions around all of this overwhelm? Or does he need to put some systems in place to help him manage, right? And those are going to be different skill sets. And I talked to uh, yesterday again, I think he's a 38-year-old and he runs a business that's getting bigger and bigger. When I talked about an ADHD and business coach, he says, there are such people? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. And I, I couldn't function without them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's getting, I, I, I was talking to a group of, of, of coaches the other day, and, and what I said, and this is just coming from the coaching world, is I wouldn't want to hire a coach that doesn't get, a, doesn't get coaching. Like, I, I, I've been a coach for over a dozen years. I've always got one coach or another that I'm working with because that's part of what it's about. It's about, it's about maintenance and support to keep improving, to and keep achieving our goals. Right. Yeah, that's exactly, and that's self-care. So you can help your clients. Exactly. And that's where so does that capture the, the four phases for you in a nutshell? Because I know that we need to... to yeah, I need to watch think, my time, and I know we need to start wrapping up. I, I think it, it does in terms of the fact that this is something fluid, and kids are maybe going to be, I need some support in terms of getting all my stuff ready to play my sport, uh, or I'm going to need a ride because the carpool folks I usually go with aren't able to do it. Um, and other 
things that may be more of the collaboration to help get that term paper mm -hmm. done. How, how do I... Right. Uh, what, what do you think if you... about breaking it into pieces? How could, how could you come up with some small starting points? Things like that that are support for the collaboration and other times you're doing the support. The other thing I want to say that we haven't mentioned is that with a lot of kids as they hit teenage years and beyond, if we hadn't been collaborating with them, what happens is they get tired of us being in director mode. And so they say, back off, I've got it. And then we say, okay, fine. And we switch to stage four and we take our hands off and we say, sure, you've got it, you're on your own. And then the kid falters because they don't have the skills and they're not ready for it. And then we come back and we say, see, I told you you couldn't do it. And that justifies us in going back into director mode. And we do it all the time. And I've seen this with parents of teenagers and a lot of parents of kids in their 20s. Because so, so this approach to move into collaboration, I don't care if your kid is 6, 16, or 26. If mm -hmm. you're still directing, you've got to move into collaboration. They need you to. Right. And, then the, the, and so it doesn't matter how old they are. What matters is how are you behaving towards them and what do they need from you next. And, and learning that it's okay to ask for support, but then yes. the parent realizing, okay, they're looking for help, but they don't need, need me to tell them what help they need or yeah. exactly what to do, but it's more... How can I help you? Yeah. So that that support exactly. will be there. Because otherwise, as you say, if it's always director, there's some resentment of on parents' part. Okay, fine, go do it. Um, and then exactly failure. Well, see, that's a natural consequence. And then the, the unpart, unsaid part is when you don't ask me to do it for you. Um, and yeah, it gets more complicated with teens when there hasn't been some of that progress and, and looking at the phases when they're not just five and six, but eight, nine, ten, so that they can exactly. trust the parent, give them some control of, of an agenda, and to make mistakes, not have judgment come down on them. But, okay, how can we do something different next time? Yeah, exactly. Well, Elaine, this has been uh, wonderful to have a chance to go through this with you in depth, and I think it it is a challenging. Being a parent is challenging. It's all ad lib. <laughs> There's no exact. It sure is. I mean, I tried to write the book. I tried to write the the playbook, but you know, there's still some. You still have to, you know, improvise. Right, and but I think you're. The playbook, The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids, is an excellent foundation. It gives information, it gives a structure, uh, and lots of good examples on how to apply things. So as parents, just as with, essentially the book can be the director and they get more comfortable with doing it and trying it, um, and then can... Uh, the book or you or another coach becomes their support and they're getting more confident in working through these things. 
Exactly. And and doing it with support is a huge piece. And don't try to do this alone because this is hard stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So until next time, so long.